But again, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's a joy to be here. And one of the things I like to do uh, before I preach, whenever I get the opportunity to, is my wife is a songstress. Uh, she's led worship for many years. And um, I often have her come sing before I preach. It kind of helps me in my preparation. And I also believe it's a, just a good thing uh, to enjoy with the congregation. So uh, you'll get to hear my words very soon, but you get to hear the good stuff first. And that's my beautiful uh, help meet my wife, my queen, my rev, Amanda Raquel, who will lead us. Daily I shall worship thee, Lamb of God, who, who died for me. And who extended so much mercy daily I shall worship thee daily I shall worship Worship thee, Lamb of God, who, who died for me and who's extended so much mercy. Daily I shall worship thee. Daily I Worship thee, the Lamb of God, who died for me, and who's extending so much mercy. Daily I shall worship thee. Worship thee, hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns, hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God Almighty reigns, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, 
make it count. cost you. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy. You are holy. Holy. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Show him he's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Call him faithful. Faithful is the Lamb. Faithful is the Lamb. Loving is he. Loving is the Lamb. Loving is the Lamb. Call him holy. Holy is the Lamb, hallelujah. Holy is the Lamb, worthy is your God. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. He's real. Amen. All right. If you weren't feeling the presence of the Lord, I pray that you are now as we get ready to dig into his text and his word. What better stage to be set than to be reminded that he is holy and worthy to be praised. Um, I want to first thank the first family of the house. That's what we call it back where I'm from. Uh, Pastor Vermon and Danae and their entire family. I met your mom this morning, man. That was super cool. I don't know. Okay, I, now I'm going to, I might get me in trouble here. There is just, in, in minority communities, there is just this real significant bond when you get to meet somebody's mom. Like, it means something. You know, it's like, yo, I met his mom. Uh, I, one of my good friends, we met each other, and uh, the first time we met, this was years ago, and he gave me his cell phone number, and then he was like, hey, and if you can't ever reach me here, here's my mom's number. And when he did that, it was like, oh, we are brothers. That's like a blood bond right there. Uh, so it is a joy to be here uh, and an honor to be able to preach God's word. So that is what we'll do. We are so thankful for being able to be able to, like, serve Roosevelt this week, uh, this weekend. Again, because you guys didn't have to come hear anything we had to say about marriage. <laughs> you didn't know us. There was no uh, relationship prior to uh, but you guys came, you guys invested, you guys participated. And again, thanks for Roosevelt in partnering with us to make this happen. Because if that wouldn't have been there, this probably wouldn't have happened right now. So we are thankful for that. Uh, the text we're jumping into today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And I will read those. Uh, I'm not a person who promotes a certain Version. So uh, if you've got NASB, ESV, whatever it is, 
We still love you. I'm reading from ESV, okay? And this is how the word of God reads. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. I want to pray real quick. Father, we thank you for the day, and thank you for this word. We know that there's a lot in this text for us all, whether we're single or married. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak through your word to all of us in the house of God today. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would strengthen, direct, and lead us into your truth so that we follow you in every word, even if it's hard for us to do, even if it contradicts what we see in culture, even if it costs us something, because walking with you does cost us. Allow me not to say anything that does not reflect you, but allow your word to pour forth through the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that you soften our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up as a child, there was one scripture that me and my mother used to regularly say as a, like a memory verse. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's a simple scripture. It's something that has been something I've passed on to my kids. And one of the reasons why it's important to me in its simplicity is because it gives a very clear directive that's something we should hold on to. And it's this idea Lean not into your own understanding, acknowledging him in all your ways, trusting and knowing that he'll direct your path. The problem that many of us face is that we don't really rest in his ways. We still lean in our own understanding. When you look at Romans chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about being uh, transformed and not being conformed to the world. Again, Scripture is teaching us and telling us is that there's something else out there that is contrary to what God has said and designed. And so as we look at today's text and we're thinking about this topic of marriage redefined, I know somebody's like, ooh, what does that mean? The biggest thing is saying that, hey, all of us, we're not talking about a particular issue. We're saying all of us as human beings in this world have ideas about marriage that often aren't anchored in what God says about marriage. You can grow up in church. You can read your Bible daily. And you can still have a distorted view of what marriage looks like. Because so often there are things that are shaping you. Your parents are shaping you. Your neighborhood is shaping you. Where I'm from, we all live with our mom. 
So it wasn't anything strange. I know other places where it was like, hey, dad did everything, which meant he was there not emotionally, but he was the one you bowed down to and you bowed down in fear. Well, that doesn't line up with scripture. That's not what we see in the husband in Ephesians 5. So all these things are distorting our view, our own personal emotions. Well, I have this preference because this makes me feel good, so this is what marriage should look like. Is it a real feeling? Yes. I will not deny that at all. But is it the truth? If it doesn't line up with God's word, it is not. And so when we look at this text, I want to first debunk a few things. But before I debunk them, in fact, let me do this. Let me do a rewind. I want to give you some context to the environment so that you can maybe relate to the people first. The church of Ephesus, the Ephesian church, was a church that was beautiful. Paul's missionary journey to speak and minister to them. And he was trying to teach them two major points in the book of Ephesians, and that is that Christ has reconciled all creation to himself and that Christ has united all who have come to know him as Savior. So he's united them and to himself and united them together as the local body and church. So no matter where you're at, city, state, nation, we are all part of this one body and church in this community. And it was important in this context that he speak to the people because they came from various uh, pagan lifestyles. Lifestyles where sexuality was a form of worship. So there were all kind of things that were being done sexually as a form of worship. There were all forms of other idolatry of things that were worshipped. And it did not, this Christ thing, this being a Christian and a follower of the Savior, of the Messiah, was something altogether different. And he was calling them to do very contrary to what they had grown up doing. And Paul, you'll see it throughout Ephesians and other New Testament books where he's constantly trying to remind them, saying, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away and everything is being made new. So what does that tell us? We're being reminded by the scriptures that we had this former life, but we're hard-headed. We had this former life and we're on our feet shouting for joy when we got this new life passed out on the floor crying and weeping when we got this new life, but we so regularly have this tendency to go back to this old one. We talk about the children of Israel and say, if I was back with the children of Israel, if I saw all this, there's no way that I would do that. There's no way I'd turn back from God. Listen, if I see him part the Red Sea and then I'm out there, I'm not going to complain saying, okay, if there's no food, it's obviously coming somewhere. But what did they do? They said, oh, there's no food. Did you bring us out here to die? And so we sit in judgment of Israel saying, I wouldn't have done that. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're doing it now. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, he has done something supernatural and amazing by saving a wretch like us. By redeeming us. And yet and still, we go back to our old ways. Because it's natural, it's normal, it's comfortable. But God says, no, this is not the way. So this is the context in which we find the church of Ephesus being spoken to and, and how we are to receive even now as the current local church and body to receive his word. Old things have passed away. All things are being made new. So in light of that, I want to debunk some things as we look at this text because I recognize that for some women in here, some men in here, this text is problematic. This text comes with layers of pain and hurt. This text comes with this idea that how dare God say this in his word and how could it possibly be true? Because you've had to live under the authority 
of someone who abused this text and abused their position. Some of you have experienced sexual abuse as children or as adults. Some of you have experienced physical abuse as children or as adults. Some of you have faced all that and verbal abuse as wise and then children who sat under this leadership. And when you look at this text and think of that experience, there is no way in that this is possible to give you what God has for you. There's no way. There's no way that this text would say, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's no way that Christ would say, submit to them, wives, submit in everything as to your husband as you would do to Christ. That doesn't line up. But we must always look back and say, my experience doesn't shape the text. The text speaks truth about itself. So no, Christ is not affirming, and the scripture is not affirming, an abusive husband. Christ in the word is not affirming the idea of a man who is a, cheats on his wife, is hard on his kids, who whoops, beats, and seeks to demoralize the household, who tries to lord over him with his power. I'm here to tell you that a man who does that is not a representation of Christ. But I'm also here to tell you this. A man like that is broken. Yes, we see them as the villain, but I need you to understand, even the villain is broken. Broken in need of the resurrecting power of Jesus to rise and move in them and bring new life. So ladies and gentlemen, whether you served as the spouse in this situation or you were the child that experienced this type of horrible lordship, of a leader in your household, I want you to say, okay, Lord, in this moment, let me let that take a back seat and let me hear what the text is actually saying. Can we do that together, family? The call is very bold, but there's always context prior to. If you actually look at verse 20 through 21, it says this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Chapter 5, if you've got headings in your, in your Bible to say walk in love. And so this whole text is talking about walking in love. And right before the submission of the wives is called, what does Christ say? What does the scripture say? It talks about this mutual submission. This mutual submission as fellow believers. It's an idea that's saying, I am submitting my preferences to yours. I'm thinking of you instead of just thinking of myself. I'm taking into account how this impacts you and how it impacts me. Think about scripture in the New Testament where it says, what is the greatest commandment? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then what? The second greatest thing is this, love your neighbor as what? It's this idea that, yes, we're living in a world where we're saying we're submitting and loving you in a kind way just as we would want to receive this love because we are mutually submitted to each other as we are all submitted to Christ. And then the text says this, as we go into the household codes, 
Because you see it speaks to husbands and wives. In chapter 6 it will talk about children and parent relationships. And then it will go into bond servants and masters. So now we're transitioning as he set this stage. And he says the words again, why submit to your husbands? How many women just say, yeah, I want to submit? It's not easy. It's not easy to think about this idea of submission. I can see by some faces, I won't call anybody out, some faces got tight and some confused faces were like, yeah, I ain't thinking about submission at all. But this idea of submission is not a, a word to run from. I'm here to tell you that Christ actually protects you even in the idea of submission. Again, we're talking with women first, but I want you to see, as he makes this call of submission, then he describes the type of individual you should be submitted to. <laughs> submission is a scary word. But I want us to see submission in light of the fact that we're all called to submit. Choosing to get married is not easy. But choosing to get married should be something you do very intentionally. You should pray. You should fast. You should seek counsel. Because these are the parameters by which God says this is what marriage should look like. And so he says this to the wives, submit to your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And it's this idea of we have this mutual virtue that we are all equal and valued by God. But he's saying that in the midst of this structure of marriage, I'm saying there is a slight hierarchy, not of worthiness, but of order in which things are done. So what does this not look like? This does not mean that as a husband I get to come in my house and say, woman, this is what we're doing today. If you've not seen my wife or had a chance just to see her expressiveness, you and I both already know that would not go over too well. That would not happen in my house. It does not give me the authority to say, hey, listen, I don't care what you're thinking. This is the way we're going with our family and our household. That is not what it means to submit. It's saying that as he sits in this position, he is speaking and saying that, listen, wives, as you are in this joint marriage with your husband, there are going to be times where you're, you're submitting to his leadership. You're going to be walking as he's leading you and then giving directive, but he's going to be in communication with you as you lead. And I know it's hard to see because you're like, well, I don't want to submit. But I want to ask you this. How many of you guys have a job? You got a job? Raise your hand if you got a job. Okay. You got a boss. You got layers. You got supervisors. You got managers. And you got CEO. Like, there are layers to this thing. And you submit to them. Can we agree to that? Now, you may not submit to them with a good attitude. You're like, man, they don't know what they are doing. Leading this company, I was in charge. But you like, I want this paycheck. And you then walk and submit. But there's this idea and this tension. I think it's natural in the flesh to say, well, how am I saying I'm going to submit to this individual who's not paying me? How am I going to submit to this individual who's not consistent with providing security? How do I submit to this individual who's, eh, he don't really know what he's doing. 
That's the tension. But despite that tension, God is saying, women, submit to your husband. Now, again, this submission is not this idea that he gets the Lord over you. And when he is not in the right space, because listen, fellas, you weren't here at this retreat, but one thing the guys got to learn about me, and I believe the ladies as well, I'm fairly transparent. I get it wrong a lot of times. There have been a lot of times where I've actually avoided leading at all because I'd rather not mess up. And that is debilitating, discouraging, and can be very destructive to your spouse. In those situations, my wife has still respected me. But one thing she's done consistently is go to that prayer closet and say, Lord, get him right. But there have been times where he said, daughter, I will get him right as I get you right. And so what I'm saying is there can be this beautiful picture when it's modeled correctly. So we say all this to say, okay, then, well, Ashanti, then what, what, what does it look like for the husband? Now, I'm not going to put a level to things, but this is an Ashanti perspective. I believe scripture in this next phase intensifies significantly. Because there's a different type of love that is required here. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what is the very next thing that it says? Gave himself up for her. Ladies say, hey. Because there's this beauty in this idea that you have a man who's saying, I am giving myself up for you. As Christ gave his life for me, I'm now going to live in a sacrificial way and I am being the one to give my life for you. Man, that is hard. You cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot write a, a game plan and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then I'll get it. It is a daily walking with Jesus. It is a daily seeking his help. It is a daily submission to him. So if you're wondering, well, like, why is my wife struggling with submission within the household? Why is she having a hard time doing this? What does your submission to the Lord look like? Why should she entrust her life, her well-being to you? I wrestle with this. And Christ says, yes, Ashanti, it's difficult, but it can be done as long as you stay connected to the vine. And he doesn't stop there. How does he give himself? But he does not just giving, but he does some other things like sanctifying her. But how does he cleanse her? With the washing of what? The word. Now, in case you're confused, it's not your words. It's the word. So that means you have to be saturated in God's word and scripture, love and compassion as you are loving your wife and hoping to sanctify her. As you are being sanctified. 
You can't be the husband that says, hey, I'm the man of the house. Follow my lead. But you have not done what a man of the house is supposed to do. Ladies, if you met a man, don't look at your husband at this time, okay? If your man, or if you met a man, for my single ladies, who was giving to you, generous to you, thought about your well-being, was concerned about your heart and your emotions, sought to understand you, valued you, made you feel beautiful and secure, When you think of this idea of submitting to his leadership, saying that he doesn't lord over you, but he has a conversation with you about the decisions. He engages with you about the decisions. But then he may take lead and direct on it. Are you struggling to submit to that man? Is that something that you find hard to do? Yeah, there will be some little tension in your flesh because your flesh will rise up. But in general, I think there's this idea that if I experienced a husband like that, who loved me in that way, even when my flesh would kick in, I'd be a little more gentle in being able to respond and say, you know what, but, but I know he loves me and he's doing his best and he desires his, my, my best. There's not a time where I don't discuss stuff with my wife. I ask her opinion. I ask her insight. I say, what do you think we should do? And there have been times where we agree. There have been times where we don't agree. And she said, hey, listen, if you feel this strongly about it this way, I'm going to ride with you. And you know what? Men, this is what you have to do. When you make that decision and they ride with you and it goes all the way south, the first thing you do is say, hey, baby, listen, thank you. I was wrong. I'm sorry it didn't go the way I thought it was going. Can you forgive me for, I, I didn't try it. This was not my intent. It's a different response. The text goes on to say this. talks about how you, no man hates his own body, but nourishes and cherishes it takes care of it. I'm going to tell you firsthand, those first couple years of marriage were interesting. We're 13 years in, yeah. Uh, don't worry, that wasn't a gang sign. That was just me throwing my hand. Uh, you know, from Chicago, so I didn't want to get, get confused real quick. It's this beautiful thing that, that marriage is hard at times. And you're like, why did I do this? And husbands... I will tell you one thing that I really used was this scripture on the regular basis. Me and my wife made a decision. Divorce is an option. Everybody can actually get divorced. It's not like you can't get divorced. But for us, we made a conscious decision to say we're, that's not on the table. We removed it as even an option. So it's, listen, either you're dying or I'm dying. That's, that's what it comes down to. I'm sorry. That came out all wrong. That's <laughs> Basically, we're saying there's no exit until someone passes away. But it can't be in either one of our hands, okay? <laughs> but it was this very idea of saying, listen, we're, we're just going to remove the idea from the table so we don't say it. 
Now, there have been conversations where they say, hey, listen, things are getting tight, and I want you to know that the idea has come into my head, so I know the enemy's at work now because the thought of it's coming in my head. I want you to know the thoughts come in my head, but so that means we need to be very intentional about not staying in this space. Let's talk. Let's have the hard conversation and work through it because if we don't, it's only going to get worse. We're still going to stay in it, but the fact that the idea is being in our head and the, the words are thinking in our head, we're like, okay, this, this is not a good space. But then we're intentional about saying, let's go for it. I know it may not be easy. I know it's not the, uh, a cookie cake, cookie cutter situation, but I, I would encourage you to say, hey, I'm, just, I'm not even going to have that on the table as part of our regular conversation. Now, again, in context, if you are facing emotional, spiritual, physical, sexual abuse, the, those things take it out of the parameters of this text. Because, again, you're not then dealing with a husband who is operating as someone who is operating as Christ loving his wife as Christ loved the church. But look at these beautiful words. And, ladies, I want you to think of the, the, the beauty in these words. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Ladies, wave your hands. Would you like to be nourished and cherished? Come on, raise your hands. I know you're not, I know you're not extroverted, but go ahead. you like, eh, nourish it. Think about those words being said to you in your, the, the best voice you could imagine a man saying it to you. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what I'm saying. When a woman is loved well, verses 22 through 24 aren't as hard. They actually would probably more than likely run to it. Now, I admit, women, I will say this, as a man who grew up in a house full of women, I understand that I don't have certain authority because you like, listen, you ain't no woman. But I've been around y'all for a good long portion of my life. If you've never been taught what it looks like to submit, it's going to take a little more work. Just like as a husband who has not been taught what it looks like to love and cherish his wife, it takes a little bit of work. It's going to take intentionality because it's contrary to what? Your life experience. There are things I expected of my wife because I grew up with my mama. There were responsibilities I expected of my wife because I was like, yo, that's what my mama did. But my mama was operating in a position she didn't need to because of my father and they had been divorced. So she was playing a role as wife and husband, as mother and father. So she was distorted in what she was having to do. So then my view of what my wife is supposed to do was distorted as well because you know what? Who did I go to when I had questions and making decisions? My mama. Because my dad wasn't there to answer those questions in no way. I loved him. I know him. That's my guy. He's passed away. But I didn't, I didn't go to him for those questions because I grew up with my mama. So that's who I asked. And so then I'm actually putting responsibilities on my wife to lead a house because that's what I'm used to my mom doing. And so if you've grown up in an environment where your mama or, or the women in your life ran the house, the idea of submission is like, well, I, what is that? Because y'all don't know what y'all doing. And so you have to grow in learning what does this look like. And so that also means as a wife who's submissive, who's serving under a husband, who is loving and kind, that doesn't mean you don't have a voice. So maybe your mother wasn't the one who was leading the house. Maybe your one was the one who was suffering in silence and said she had no voice and couldn't say anything. 
And so now you see the mom as, as a, a wife as a weak individual with no voice, no personality, no life, no identity. And that is not what Scripture teaches us. So you, in that process, are saying, Lord, who are you because you've made me full of life? You don't have to become lifeless to be a submissive spouse. And guess what? You don't have to become lifeless to be submissive to the Lord. Your personality, some of your dispositions and the way you operate it, listen, he didn't say get rid of it. He's saying, listen, just conform it to live for me. I'm going off the topic just for a split second. I promise it will be fast. Listen, when you come into service, and I know all of us have different backgrounds of how expressive we are, but I'm telling you, listen, if you knew how to turn up at the party, turn up means get really excited, joyful, boisterous, excited. If you used to go to the parties and be a wallflower, then I get it. When you get saved, you'll probably be a wallflower. Okay, I'm with you. But what I'm saying is this, if you were in those days, out, you know, doing your thing, moving, getting excited, when you get to Christ, I'm saying, he doesn't say, oh, you got to kill that. Our submission to Christ is this idea of saying, hey, we're submitting all of who we are to you and what you say needs to go will go. But these, these unique ways in which you created me, which I just give to you, and I'm going to let you have the fullness of that in me. But there's a beautiful thing as we prepare to kind of head, head out that I think we often miss. Because I know there's some people who are sitting here as singles, as uh, teenagers or young adults. You're like, how does this apply to me, pastor? This makes no sense. I'm only 12 and I have no plans of getting married anytime soon. Some of the ladies like, I don't even like the guys at school because they're nerds and I have no desire to get with them. This means nothing to me. Well, here is where this jumps in for you. Because Scripture says something I think that we often forget. We look to this text and say, hey, it's about husbands and wives. But Paul says something here. He says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. I'm not even going to go to 33. I want us to stay there. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. This reiterates what he began to talk about in verse 21. He talks about this mutual submission and reverence to one another out of our reverence for Christ. And so now he's saying, listen, I know this is foreign to you. This seems very strange and, and it doesn't make sense. But I want you to understand that what I've just broken down to you, I want you to first look at it in eyes of it referring to you and your relationship with Christ. We are the church. Yes, we are in these walls. But these walls are not the church. This is a building. This is a facility that houses the people of God who represent and who are the church. And so now he's saying, uh-oh. What do you think now? Because now wives submit to your husbands applies to all of us. We are the bride of Christ. So now the submission that is spoken of, we're saying that's, we're submitting to God. 
The church is to submit every area aspect of their life to God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This submission that says, I'm following you and submitting to you in all my ways. It means that I'm trusting you. Because listen, although earthly people are inconsistent, your nature and character is always the same and has always been the same. So now we have to say we can't look at this in light of what we've experienced by other people. Is Christ good or is he not good? Is he just or is he not just? Is he holy or is he not holy? My question to you is this, do you believe it? Because we can say those words and not believe them. As a husband, I say I trust that God is a provider of all of my needs. And I regularly fail at walking that out. Because I work too hard, do too many jobs, trying to provide for my family because I don't actually believe that God is going to sustain us. But I don't get to that until I actually have those hard conversations with myself in a quiet place with the Lord when I say, man, I'm actually stressing out, losing hair, literally. I'm not bald by choice. <laughs> but because I'm taking on things that don't belong to me, and I take on things that don't belong to me when I don't really believe God is who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his being. He can actually not be anything but that. And so as we think about that church as a single, as a teenager, as a kid, as a young adult, as a husband, as a wife, be reminded in this very moment that Christ is saying, listen, submit all that you have to me. And look, he's doing the sanctification process. What is the Lord washing us with? His word. What has the Lord already done? Given his life. Reconciling us to himself. He doesn't hate us. But he nourishes us. He cherishes us in spite of us. And this is the beautiful thing that we see through this scripture. So as you read Ephesians 5, don't ever say it doesn't apply to me. Don't say, okay, verses 1 through 20, 21, that's me. Verses 22 through 33, I'm not married yet, that doesn't apply. No, it applies to us all. At all times and all seasons. But then he closes with verse 33 with an interesting transition. It opens saying, wives and then husbands. But then it closes saying, however, let each one of you love your wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, take lead. Take lead in loving your wives. Take lead in loving your children. And here I'm here to tell you this. One of the greatest gifts, in fact, the best gift you can give your child outside of teaching them the gospel and them coming to faith is giving them a healthy marriage to live out. That is the legacy you can live, leave 
clear to it to say, hey, I'm going to actually live in such a way. Yeah, we mess up. I'm a, I'm a, my son's going to see me apologize to his mama. My son or daughter's going to see me apologize to my husband. They're going to see us loving each other. They're going to even see us reconcile when we've been frustrated with each other. They're going to see it when you guys apologize for them for how you guys have conducted yourselves. And saying, you know what, son, daughter, we need to apologize because how me and your mother have been acting has been inappropriate. We've been in a hard, rough space, but we're working through it and seeking God's help to help us. And we apologize because we recognize that it impacts you whether you see it or not. This is the beautiful thing we have here cherish, to enjoy, to love. I encourage you as we close to remember God is good. To be thankful that you have this beautiful thing. Because listen, we're all being sanctified and made new. Walking this out, whether a husband or a wife as a, or as a believer as part of the church to Christ, the one thing that's consistent is that you are being transformed through the entire process to be made more like him. You're being made more like Christ. So is it dirty sometimes? Is it hard sometimes? Is it disappointing sometimes? Yes. But listen, it's also a lot of fun. Being with Jesus should be fun, just like being in marriage should be fun. Yes, I want to implore you, get more joy in your life. Have fun. Be free in Christ. And let your marriage be a witness of the gospel to the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. And thank you for your word. Thank you for the many ways in which you have provided this morning. And I ask, Lord God, that you would continue to teach us, nourish us, and strengthen us to look more like you. I pray for those who are hurt this morning. Because I know there are people in this house of the Lord who have been hurt. They've been hurt by dads. They've been hurt by moms. They've been taken advantage of. There are people within the church who have even been abused by leadership. There are women who have suffered in silence. And Lord, I proclaim boldly that all those things are wrong. All those things are sin, and all those things are not ordained or condoned by you. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to see the scripture anew. That even in their pain, they would see the joy and beauty of who you are, of saying, this is what it should look like. And say, Lord, heal my heart from what I experienced, but allow me to just revel in the beauty of what it should have been and what it should be in the future. I pray that women would not sacrifice themselves just to be loved. That they would pray and seek your wisdom and seek your guidance from other women and people they trust before they make the decision to say, I do. I pray that men would do the same thing. Sex is a gift for God, but it is not a reason to get married. I pray that men would seek the Lord on the wisdom of how to be a man and growing to be a man, not that they will have it all figured out before they get married, but they will at least be taking steps towards it as men and women to become what they need to be. 
for husbands and wives now, I pray that you would make them strong. Give them gracious hearts. Allow them to be forgiving to each other. Allow them to look at each other and say, you know what? It's been hard. It's hurt. I don't like what it looks like now, but Scripture says we got something, and it can be much better. So, Lord, help them get it better as they rest in thee. Lord, I thank you. And we submit this to you this day. For the unbeliever here, Lord God, I pray that you would touch their hearts. Who may be listening through social media or any other technical outlet, I pray that you would comfort their heart as well. Both in the house and being out of the house. That you would touch them and allow them to see the beauty of your gospel. We don't always do it right, Lord, but your word is true. So I pray that they would see your word. And when we don't reflect you well, that they would still look to your word and your truth. But when we do reflect you well, Lord God, I pray that you would allow them to see the beauty of what you are and who you are through your church. Let us be humble as a church to repent when necessary and confess often and love and love and love with a lot of grace and mercy, just as you love us. In Jesus' name we pray.